I'm visiting all 30 stadiums in one season to uncover the hidden stories that make baseball America's pastime. Rounding third with Manish Jane. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Rounding Third with Manish Jane. Today's episode is the Colorado Rockies and Coors Field. Now, as you can no doubt tell from the running time, this is a little bit of a longer podcast uh, than you might be used to, and that is because I was lucky enough to uh, conduct a more of a lengthy sit-down interview with an amazing man named Bruce Hellerstein. Bruce is the curator of the National Ballpark Museum, formerly known as Bees Ballpark Museum, located in the lower downtown uh, neighborhood of Denver, off of 20th and Blake, conveniently right outside of Coors Field. Now, I'm going to say this without hyperbole, no exaggeration. This is the best collection of ballpark memorabilia I have ever seen in my entire life. Uh, Bruce and I will get more into the specifics about the museum in the interview, so I don't want to ruin that for you. But uh, I'm going to tell you that this is not just memorabilia from Denver um, or from uh, the Colorado Rockies. This is, you know, he's got seats, he's got bricks, he's got pieces of walls, he's got pieces of, of, of just some of the most historic baseball stadiums in the country, and he's got them all. And it is... I'm telling you, I, I talk about it a little bit in the interview, getting chills walking through that, that museum, and I literally just got chills again um, thinking back <laughs> to my time. I mean, I spent about, I'm going to say an hour and a half, two hours inside uh, um, this place, and if it wasn't for the Rockies game that I was going to that night, I probably would have stayed a lot longer. Um, this is something where I have recommended you guys do quite a few things, you know, do the ballpark tours or come visit some of the stadiums, you know, some of the halls of fame are, are fun to do, but thus far, this is, this, this wins so far. This is the absolute without a shadow of a doubt, no competition top of my list. If there is one place in this country that you need to go to, if you were a baseball fan, it is the National Ballpark Ball. Uh, excuse me, I got so excited I can't even talk. The National Ballpark Museum, right there in in Lower Downtown Denver. I realize that I I sound like I am doing some sort of paid advertisement or I'm doing a commercial for this place, but I assure you I'm not. I'm just this excited about what that place has to offer. Um, in addition to just having, honestly, probably the best collection of stadium history that I've ever seen, and that includes Cooperstown. Uh, we touched on that a little bit in the, uh, in the interview. Um, Bruce himself is just a bastion of Denver baseball knowledge. You know, he is a guy that I talked to, uh, you like, you hear it coming up. It's about a half an hour interview where I'm telling you, if, if I didn't have to go to the game, I honestly probably would have talked to him for another hour or two for the podcast. But unfortunately, we had to cut it a little bit short. Um, Bruce is a guy that he was involved in the building of Coors Field and kind of the design aspect of that. And he's got some interesting comments to say about what he thinks about how big the stadium has become. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Coors Stadium seats over 50,000 people, which for a baseball stadium, that's that's a lot. It's it's hard to fill 50,000 seats, but uh, you're going to hear Bruce talk about that a little bit in the interview. 
Uh, but before I get to Bruce, uh, I want to just very, very briefly talk about my time at Coors Field. Um, and then I promise you I'm going to get right into the interview so this podcast doesn't become five hours long. The game that I went to uh, at Coors Field featured the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Colorado Rockies. And on the Los Angeles Dodgers was a young man named Yasiel Puig, which I'm sure we are all uh, familiar with at this point. And this was quite an interesting situation for me because my tour began on May 28th and Yasiel Puig debuted in Major League Baseball on, I believe it was June 3rd. It was early June. So he actually debuted after I had already jumped on the road. And so because of that, I was unable to really watch a lot of uh, his games. You know, I, I caught a highlight or two um, when I could, but for the most part, you know, when I'm living on the road, I really don't really have access to the MLB network or to um, even ESPN in some of the places where I'm at. So it's it's tough to, to track some of the out-of-town games. Uh, now, that being said, every single stadium that I've been to since early June, somebody has wanted to ask me my opinion of Yasiel Puig. I mean, he is the new talk of Major League Baseball. It actually turned into essentially this Paul Bunyan-esque type legend. Every single stadium I went to, somebody had some crazy story of watching him hit the ball 450 feet or watching him, you know, misread the cutoff man and throw it a bullet from a right field over the third baseman's head or a situation where he overran first base or tried to stretch a single into a double or got thrown out. I mean, just everybody had some sort of story to tell about Yasiel Puig. So finally, after hearing his name week after week, stadium after stadium, city after city, everywhere I go, Puig, 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 that's all everybody wants to talk about, I actually get to see this kid play live. Well, he's no Paul Bunyan, but he sure makes baseball an exciting game to watch. In this game, he went three for five with a double and a 450-plus foot home run, but he also wildly struck out twice and got thrown out trying to uh, steal second base. So this kid makes it interesting, and he's got a lot of power, and he's got a lot of speed, and he's got a great arm, but I don't know. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how he can play in the long term. You know, he's definitely sparked that Dodger team, and he's got a lot of raw talent, but Let's be careful here about crowning him the next Joe DiMaggio or the next Bo Jackson quite yet. Um, let's let him get a little bit of dirt in his spikes and play for a couple of years and, you know, maybe play, let's say, a full season before we crown him the king of all everything. How quickly we forget and we essentially just move on from Mike Trout and Bryce Harper and Manny Machado and all the other great young kids right now that are making baseball a fun sport to watch. Um, Yasiel Puig will add his name to the list, but... He doesn't go to the top quite yet. But that's enough about the Dodgers. This podcast is about the Rockies and Coors Field. Uh, before the game, I was able to meet up with a gentleman by the name of Brian, uh, which you can see a picture of Brian on the website at runningthird.net. And Brian is a gentleman with a very well manicured beard who has become a bit of a fixture there at Coors Field, at least in recent memory, as he patrols the center field area and catches home run balls. He's been featured on MLB's Cut 4, and he graciously took a couple of minutes during batting practice. I took him away from his ball-chasing activities and just chatted with me about what it's like to catch a ball during a live game. 
So uh, this is going to be a brief uh, three, four minute interview with Brian. And then after that, we'll come back and I will lead you into my uh, longer interview with Bruce from the National Baseball Museum. So enjoy. All right, so I'm here with Brian, and we are at uh, Coors Field here. Batting practice is just getting underway, and uh, he's got some awesome stories about catching balls, and he's got quite the majestic beard, as it has been coined by Major League Baseball. Thanks for joining me today, Brian. Uh, no problem. Thank you. So, uh, you know, you've got these season tickets here that are uh, in center field, and there's plenty of room for you to catch some balls. Roughly, do you, can you uh, put a, a number on how many balls you've caught throughout uh, your life? Um, just this season, I've got four down here, um, all clean catches, and then uh, one in uh, Angel Stadium this uh, uh, this last month in June, uh, which was uh, just hit straight to me in the bleachers. So that was, uh, I guess, more lucky than these are down here. I got I got room to move down here, so uh, but they've all been within five seats or so. Well, and remember, these are game balls. These aren't batting practice balls. These aren't foul balls. These are home runs. Yep, game home runs. So uh, yep, the special special balls for sure. So uh, what is the, the you see, there's a video that we're going to have on the website of you uh, not so much robbing, but snatching the ball from, who was it? Uh, I was hit uh, off Mark Kotze in the, uh, the Padres, his first time up to bat uh, as a pitch hitter in uh, a long time. And uh, so nobody expected him to hit one a dead center, and uh, it came right to me pretty much. And uh, Dexter Fowler, the Rockies player, um, was up waist high over the fence, and I kind of just sat back and caught what he missed but uh all my fans thought that I stole it from my own player so it was uh it was it was a rough moment having the whole bleacher section boo me but uh, um as the replay shows uh it was a clean catch and uh, I did all I could to uh stay out of his way um other way around the fence uh you can get right up on it so uh, once it crosses that plane of the yellow vertically across it uh you know, if that was the other team, I'd be right up in it, you know, knocking the ball away from them. So uh, you got you got to stay on your toes for sure. Like any good fan would. And for all the uh, the listeners out there, you can check out the video at the site. I'll have it posted up there, and you can make the judgment for yourself. But I've seen the video, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to call it a clean catch. Uh, so how long have you been coming to games here at uh, Coors Field? Uh, moved here from Milwaukee area in uh, 2007, uh, the year they went to the World Series. So um, uh, I've been coming since 2007 to Coors Field here. Um, baseball fan my whole life. But uh um, last couple seasons, uh, um, 30 games last year. I've already got almost 50 this year. I've only missed a couple uh, with the season tickets now. So. so is this your first year as a season ticket holder? Uh, it is, yes. Okay. So now what would you recommend for other home run chasers or ball chasers? Do you have any advice or any tips on what they could do? Mm, try and get in these seats down here. Uh, we got uh, about 10, 15 feet deep and uh, um, not crowded. The seats are a foot apart, but uh, it's pretty rare. So, um, you know, I, I like the front row. Um, the, all the all the stadiums uh, and teams websites now have uh, you can pick your own seat, basically uh, off a seat map on the on the websites now. So um, you know just go there, left field, right field, um, just front row. So you got you know a little bit of room to work around with. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean some of it's blind luck, but you know left field's always a, always a good bet. So so what was the most exciting catch you've ever had? Um, probably the first one. It bounced off of some guys that didn't have their gloves. So all those people that make fun of an adult bringing their glove to a game uh, um, paid off that day because it smacked some guys right on the right on the fence. And uh, I was just behind him and caught that. But uh, um, caught uh, one from Cargo too, which is a um, you know a line drive home run. Um, but they've all been clean catches out of the glove for the most part, and uh, they're they're all they're all awesome. Especially when you got a few few beers in you, that makes it even more interesting. <laughs> and then last question, so then what is, it can be either catching a ball or just, you know, coming out to the ballpark, having a good time. What is just your favorite moment here at Coors Field? Um, God, it's so hard. I mean, I would say that my favorite moments are um, the, the evening games, the sunsets here. Um, it's insane. Um, if you're sitting first base side, you can see the mountains. We're, we're facing uh, east, but uh, you, you'll see it in an, in an hour or two. Um, 
the, the sunsets here are amazing, and they change uh, for about a half hour um, by the minute. Uh, it, it's awesome. So once it cools down to 75 and uh, those uh, those colors to the sky, I mean nothing nothing beats it. So. So, I'm, so as I said, I'm doing the 30 stadium tour. Is there anything else you think I need to do here at at, Colorado, at uh, Coors Field that's unique about this ballpark? Um, you know, unless you want to challenge me in speed pitch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, just check it, just walk around. Like I said, if you get up on first base side, you can see the mountains and that's stuff. So. Yeah, we're sitting actually right behind. Cool. Us. Yeah, the sun's brutal uh, facing to the west there, but the, the mountain backscape, I mean, you know, nothing beats it. So um, otherwise, yeah, I mean, just take a tour around and uh, take in the sights. It's a beautiful, beautiful stadium, beautiful town. So. I really appreciate taking the time to talk to me today. Sure, thank you very much. Welcome, welcome to Colorado. Thank you so much. And we're back. I wanted to thank Brian for taking a couple of minutes during batting practice to chat with me about what it takes to catch a home run ball. Uh, for those of you who have been listening to this podcast since the beginning, you'll know that that is a skill that has eluded me low these many years, and it's something that I would really like to get better at. Uh, he gave us some great advice about how to pick your seats and always bringing a glove to the park and just kind of always being alert and aware, watching the ball come off the bat. But ultimately, I think for me, I'm five foot six. When the ball comes off the bat, everyone stands up and the canopy of normal sized human beings engulfs me and I just, the ball disappears. So maybe if I'm lucky, the ball will fall through everyone else's hands and I can pick it up off the ground. But unless I hit a second growth spurt, I don't think I'm going to be catching any balls off the fly anytime soon. But enough of my nonsense. It's time for the main event. It's time for the conversation that I had so much fun having and that I cannot wait for you all to listen to. Uh, Now, I said at the beginning of this podcast, and I'm going to say it again. This gentleman, Bruce Hellerstein, is curator of a museum that everybody on this planet needs to visit. If you consider yourself a baseball fan of any type, I don't care where you live, you need to get on a plane, on a train, in a car, whatever your favorite mode of transportation is, and get to Denver. I miss this place already. You know, it's not even as if this is some giant warehouse full of memorabilia. You know, it's actually a relatively small storefront, but it is just so jam-packed with relics from a bygone era that you could feel like you could spend just days hanging out in there and, and, and reliving moments from your past and from years where, at least in my case, I was not even alive for. So without any further ado, I would like to introduce you to Bruce Hellerstein and the National Ballpark Museum. So I'm sitting here with uh, the owner of Bees Baseball Museum, Bruce Hellerstein. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I might just clarify one thing. this is a 501c3 nonprofit museum. So um, I, my wife and I donated our collection to it. So oh, okay. It's owned by its own corporation now. Oh, I'm sorry. I, no I apologize problem, for that. I just want to make sure on that. You bet. No, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, before I get going, I'm just going to shower with you with a little bit of praise here <laughs> because uh, I was told that this had one of the best uh, collections of memorabilia in the world. And of course, you're always a little bit skeptical when you hear something like that. Right. I have to say that this by far has been the best baseball museum I have ever been to in my entire life, save for Cooperstown. Cooperstown has got a little bit more, but that's all right. But outside of Cooperstown, this is the the unique... Actually, you've got some stuff here that that Cooperstown, I'm sure, would love to uh, get their hands on. So um, thank Thank you so much. Thank you very, very much. That's the ultimate compliment. So how long have you been collecting uh, memorabilia for? Uh, My entire life, ever since I opened my eyes. Uh, (laughs) Um... 
it, it just something that uh, I had a love and passion for uh, for every day I can remember back. Um, it just, uh, uh, I guess the first experience that happened, the old uh, show and tell that you'd have in grade school, and uh, I was like in second grade, and one of the gals in the class, remember her name is Carol, said, I went to a Denver Bears game at Bear Stadium, and it was like uh, I was possessed. I ran home and said, you got to take me. So that's where it all started. So was that your first baseball game ever? That was my first baseball game ever. Yeah. Wow, that is quite quite yeah. an experience. Yeah, so it it was great. I mean, it was not only great; it was a calling, and it um, and Bear Stadium was just beautiful. What a magnificent ballpark, and uh, just saw some incredible ball players. And uh, uh, I don't feel I missed a beat not growing up in a major league city, having the experience I had. Yeah, well, you know, that's so as I'm doing this major league yeah. tour, my, my next stop next year, what I'm assuming I'm going to do is do the, actually the minor league tours. I'm going to really tour that because to right. me, as much as I adore major uh -huh. league baseball, minor league baseball is really where the true beauty of the game can, can be seen. And just that there's no better experience to me than going to a minor league baseball game. Right. And you're watching guys chasing their dream. Exactly. It is so pure it and beautiful. So pure. It, it is. I mean, these guys are out there with their, their, uh, their girlfriends or, or wives, and they're they're chasing a dream. It, it's it's a totally different experience. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, so outside of that Bears mm -hmm. experience, what was your first uh, experience in a major league uh, ballpark? Well, it was. Uh, th this tells a lot about me. <laughs> Here I'm at a. Uh, I was um, about 12 or 13 years old, and my cousin in Kansas City was getting married, and they had all these weekend plans for the wedding. And what did I do? I dragged my family to a KC Municipal Stadium to watch the A's play the uh, Minnesota Twins, saw Harmon Killebrew hit a home run, see, saw Jim Cott pitch. I mean, I mean, just think of this. I mean, you got a 12 or 13-year-old kid taking people away, family, from this big wedding weekend, and that, that tells a lot about what I'm about. <laughs> that is the way to do it. And it sounds like you had a lot of power as a 12-year-old to drag everybody and say, no, we're going to a ball game. It was, it was a calling. I mean, it just... Uh, my my passion is, I think, very contagious, and people uh, just line up. I today instead of taking people to ball games necessarily, I take them to museums. So that's the difference. Well, that's so. I'm here today with actually a friend of mine. This is the first. So I've been doing this. Uh, this is I think day 33 or 34 of, mm -hmm. of my tour. This is the first time I brought a buddy of mine with me, and you know he's he's a baseball fan, but right. he's not really like us you know right. <laughs> we're, we're we're unique in that sense. sense but i do really like taking him to museums like this because baseball is kind of the only sport in this country at least with just such a rich beautiful history you know and and football and basketball and hockey they haven't been around long right. enough yet and they haven't gone through the maturation process that baseball does so yeah these museums i think are so important to preserve the history of of the game oh without a doubt in fact um, uh, i had heard or read that they put out more baseball, new baseball books each year than all the other sports put together for their history. I mean, uh, I can't keep up with all the books. Well, I'm actually going to throw a quick plug in for a friend of mine, Ron Kaplan, who uh, just uh, published a book called The 500 Books Every Baseball Fan Must Read Before He Dies. Oh, my goodness. And actually, you know what? I was talking to him, and he said that uh, it was originally going to be the 1,001 books every baseball, oh, because there goodness. are so many, but he yeah. pared it down to 500. Because, yeah, there are so many baseball books it, that are made every year. Yes, and I mean, it just, they all have their um, their uniqueness to them. 
Now, one of the things that I've done as a, quote, focus or specialty is getting my hands on, for the museum, every book on, on ballparks that I can. And so um, I like to think that I've got, you know, uh, 100% comprehensive collection, but just knowing how fast they come out, I'm not sure that's the case. But it's, it's challenging. I mean, uh, just zeroing in on just one aspect like that uh, just shows the, the proliferation of, of uh, books put out. Oh, exactly. Yeah, there's so many great books just about, like you said, just the most niche, you know, uh, ideas. And you just you segment it so much into it's going to be about, you know, either just one stadium or I know there was, I'm not sure if it was a book or a website I'd seen, what was like the vegetarian's guide to the ballparks, where it was just basically about uh-huh. the vegetarian options at each one of these parks. So it's really great how people have such these unique insights to, to what is special about each park. A- absolutely. And, and just like you're touring all the ballparks, um, and it just, uh, the ballparks to me, and my love for baseball is so tremendous, but my, my love and passion for ballparks takes it up a notch. Um, it's just something I've always, always been fascinated. In fact, when uh, I went to my first ball game, I was more fascinated with Bear Stadium than anything else. Uh, it was just, it's, and I always had this fa- uh, uh, wonder in my mind is, when the Denver Bears would go on road trips, what these other ballparks look like, because I'd listen to the radio <laughs> broadcast, and the radio broadcaster really didn't describe it all that much, and I'd, I just was very intrigued, but it just, uh, I mean, for obvious reasons, uh, ballparks are, are unique. Um, other sports don't have that uniqueness, and it just, to me, it's, it's um, especially with the, the, the 14 classic ballparks, the old-time ballparks, they were defined by their envi- uh, neighborhoods, by their s- street constraints and so forth, their urban um, environment. And um, it, um, you look at Coors Field, to me and my personal f- feeling about Coors Field is it gets its, its charm by being here in Lodo, lower downtown uh, historic district. If you stuck this place in the middle of the suburbs, I think it would have zero charm, to tell you the truth. Well, you know, it's something that I've said uh, over and over again. One of the things that I find truly beautiful mm-hmm. about the ballparks is that, so you've got essentially this this park where a bunch of grown men are wearing essentially pajamas and hitting a, a <laughs> right. you know, a, a stick, you know, they're playing stickball, basically. Right. Right. And then in most of these cities, right next door are big sky rises with men in suits going, doing very important jobs uh-huh. with briefcases and all that. And just the juxtaposition of that park right next to that 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 offices is something that I don't know. I just feel is is the perfect encap- encapsulation of the kind of the American spirit that you know we work hard, but we also like to play you know just as hard and whatnot. So, yeah, I, I don't like it when the stadiums are so far away from the city. They need to be in the heart of everything they, they, going they on. Do. It's so interesting you brought that up because with your being uh, your connection with uh, T- old Tiger Stadium, I mean, my gosh, you. you you're in this uh, kind of tough neighborhood, yep. uh, very <laughs> urban to say the least. Yes. And the experience of walking into t- Tiger Stadium, if one has not done that before, uh, description doesn't do it justice. All I know is you walk into a green paradise. And it's an experience, of all the ballparks I've ever been to, nothing was quite like walking into Tiger Stadium. I'm a little bit biased, but I, I agree 100%. Yeah. That was the, one of the saddest days of my life is when, you know, they, they unfortunately decided to tear that down. And that, you know, I have a friend of mine that lives actually pretty that Michigan and Trumbull right uh-huh. across the street from the stadium. Uh-huh. And so we were able to, from his window, basically just watch 
the destruction of that, which oh, was... It's, just, it's such a shame that uh, they did... You know, you look at this country, and we can't tear things down fast enough. You go to Europe, and it's just the opposite. But uh, Tiger Stadium, uh, I think the thing that fascinated me as much as anything is those big, huge light towers out there. And just the acoustics and being inside there. Uh, I mean, you talk about shutting out the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, you were in uh, fantasy land inside there. So it sounds like you've been to, you know, quite a few ballparks. You know, what is, you know, thus far, what has been your favorite experience in any major league ballpark? Oh, my goodness. I know. It's a, it's a, it's a big question. That's like asking me if I like uh, my, which of my daughter's best. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's so impossible. Let me put it this way. If, um, and I kid about that, but half kid, is if old Yankees, original Yankee Stadium was around, I'm talking about the very original one, that's where I would love to have been buried, believe me. That, that, growing up as a kid, um, unfortunately, I only saw it on TV and, and pictures of it, but that, that would have been the place. That would have been the place. Um, each of these classic ballparks are all so unique and different. Uh, to compare Wrigley and, and Fenway, the two that exist today, is and, and thrown in Tiger since it was relatively recent. I mean, all three are so different and all so great. Um, I um, it, it, and I went to Crosley Field was the first classic ballpark I went to back in 1968 and Crosley Field, uh, home of the Reds, it was fabulous. I mean, to say, well, do I like Crosley better? As compared to Wrigley or Fenway, it's like, I mean, they're, they're, th they're three totally different experiences. All right, so then not maybe not the ballparks themselves, yeah. but how about just is there one memory that sticks out in your mind of just being in one of the ballparks, and whether it was for a big game or, or being with, you know, your children or anything like that, just one memory that sticks out that says this encapsulates, you know, this is the quintessential baseball experience that I'm feeling right now. Well, what I did, uh, I have two daughters, and I thought, well, I'll give it one last shot before they go off with their friends and don't want to do anything with that anymore. So they're both in high school. They had never been to any other ballparks other than uh, Mile High Stadium and Coors Field. So I'll never forget when I went up how the old ballparks were. We took them to Wrigley. That was our first stop. Then we went to Fenway and Tiger Stadium. But Wrigley was the first one. We went up the steps that you, you lead up to uh, uh, off ground level, uh, street level. And unlike like the Coors Field of the Worlds where you go down, uh, into a bowl type thing. So anyway, I walk up the steps and my, I just was staring at my daughter's faces and both of them said the same thing at the same time, I swear. Daddy, this place is so tiny. <laughs> it's not tiny, it's intimate. There's 40,000 <laughs> seats here. And that to me told so much of the story um, and, and here my daughters expressed it so well. This place is tiny. I loved it. Well, I want to ask you just one a couple more questions. Yeah. You had mentioned about um, you were involved in the design aspect right. of uh, uh, Coors Field here. So can you just take me a little bit through about what your involvement was with that? Yes, yeah, so I was a pain in the rear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this was a personal, my personal ballpark, and don't screw it up. But in all seriousness, uh, I worked on the Des Coors Field Design Committee, and prior to that, the Denver Baseball Commission. Uh, but the thing with the design committee and work with HOK, the architects, and those guys were great. But I'll tell you, I wasn't holding anything back because I knew this was a once-in-a-lifetime thing and I didn't want to have, well, why didn't I say this or that? And I, I 
pumped from day one. I said, you got to have this place look like Ebbetsfield at the corner of 20th and Blake at the home plate entrance. And they bought off on it. And they said, send me every picture you have. And believe me, I did. So what you have out here on the corner of the home plate uh, entrance is Ebbetsfield. And uh, that was um, that was incredible. I mean, it. Uh, how, do, how do I describe such a feeling, having such a personal uh, involvement? All I can say is the experience I had on those two commissions without a doubt are the funnest times of my life. I had, I mean, could you imagine being in a room with the architects and discussing how your ballpark's gonna be? That's a dream come to know. I mean, it's that's, that's amazing. Dream. Yeah. It is, I mean. I, I, I don't even know, I actually, as you mentioned this, yeah. I don't think I could even dream about, that's not even a dream that I have. That's one of those things that it would never happen, no, so. It, it just, it, it, and here again, it wasn't necessarily planned. It just, oh, you have a committee for the design? Where do I sign up? Because I, so fortunately, uh, you know, I had uh, uh, a lot of people that, that I was involved with with the baseball commission, so they, uh, they thought it would be a good fit for me. And, uh, but I, I, um, I just, and, and one of the big things that I hit uh, hard is that uh, don't make it too big, and they did, and in my opinion. I mean, that's, and I understand why, you know, they, we drew 70, 80,000 people to a game at Mile High Stadium, so. Yeah, you can't sustain make, that. I know, but we better make this really big. But in the meantime, I think they might have taken that step from a ballpark to a stadium. I mean, you can debate that all you want. In my personal preference, I like to keep it around 40,000 capacity. Coorsfield is 50. And I think they just overstepped the bounds uh, a little bit. And I think, uh, but without that being said, I think Coorsfield is an uh, incredible experience. Uh, is it Wrigley Field? Is it the Mona Lisa of the classic ballparks? No, no way at all in my mind. Uh, Coors Field is nice, but it's Lely. It's not a Wrigley Field. And I'll tell you, as an example, the museum here is, what, uh, uh, 100 yards away or, or less. I can't hear a damn thing going on over there. I can't hear the crowd. I can't hear their PA announcer. If I was, I've had this experience at Wrigley Field Every time I go there, I can be three blocks away and I can hear everything going on. The acoustics of the old ballparks. I, in fact, I was listening to a Rockies game the other night. We were playing a road game again at Fenway. And my God, I heard these radio broadcasts. It was like the acoustics. I could hear everything. The fans were clapping. I just, you don't, of the old ballparks. And you speak of like Tiger Stadium and the upper deck is like, I mean, you could stick your hand, you swear, you could hear the, the ball hitting the grass, you're so on top of it. Uh, and I don't think people realize, having not gone to the old ballparks, that part of it. They can look all the pictures in the world, but to experience that is a whole different thing. No, absolutely. So uh, I want to quickly just uh, give me the exact address of where this museum is, because uh, for everybody that's listening to this and in the future, you know, on the website, everywhere, this legitimately, thus far at least in my lifetime, has been the best collection of baseball memorabilia in one place I, I probably have ever seen as far as the uniqueness goes. So just tell me real quick, what's wow, the exact thank address? Thank you very, very much. I, I, believe me, that uh, that really hits, hits my heart big time. Uh, 1940 Blake Street, uh, we're literally a center field throw distance-wise from the whole plate entrance. So if you go out to our front porch, we're catty corner from the home plate entrance at Coorsfield. 
You take a baseball and you could throw it to the home plate entrance if you got a pretty strong arm. And tell me, and the last question, what do you think is your, I know this might be tough as well, what is the crown jewel of your collection? What's the one thing that, you know, if you had to run out and just take one thing with you, what's, the, what's your most uh, prized uh, possession I love, here? I love things like that. I would say, boy, that's, that is such a hard question. <laughs> that really, really is. Um, if I could answer that two ways, okay. I have a collage of a um, uh, baseball uh, oil canvas painting where the museum all started in my basement of our family and everything, collage of ballparks. That, that is without the doubt, doubt the one that hits my heart the most, but I'm probably the only one that has sentimental value except for my family. But looking at a true artifact, um, that is really, really hard to say. Um, it was, it's, I want to say the Ebbetsfield Rotunda light fixtures um, because, and, and it's not a stretch to say that when people are standing underneath these lights, it's the only place on the face of the earth that they can experience that. I mean, that, that is almost like a religious experience. I mean, you can say, well, you know, you got this piece and you got that piece, but just to have those lights shining above you um, is almost a, a spiritual uh, thing that, that you're experiencing. And, and there's no other place on earth where you can experience that. I mean, you could go to Cooperstown every day the rest of your life. You're not going to see that there. Well, and not only in, in, in Cooperstown, like I said, no. Cooperstown, it's got the, the breadth. You know, it's got just how, you know, it's got so much of right, it. But, right. the, you're, but you used the word intimate earlier. The intimacy of, so look right now here, tell everybody, what, what, what are we sitting on right now? This is a uh, actual bench from the uh, bleachers at Wrigley, and they took it in a wood bench, they took these out in 2005, so they're now aluminum. So, uh, and these, this bench could date, date back to the 1930s. Um, and we, I'm not sure if there's another bench like this floating around today. Well, and you've gotten, I was saying, you know, as a Tigers fan, you've got the last home run ever hit the Grand Slam in, uh, against the Royals right. uh, in 99. You've got that ball, which is phenomenal. Well, it's an autograph ball. I wish it was the ball. Oh, it's, not, it's an autograph ball. Okay. Me, I wish it was the ball. Okay, well, it's an autograph yeah. ball from that game. Yeah. And then probably my the thing that gave me my first chill, I've gotten chills about four times I've been in here, but uh -huh. the first one was that drain uh, pipe from the Yankees. Uh, what, oh, it was 1950. 51. It was a 51 right. series uh, where Mantle blew out his knee. Right. And so you've got a drain from, from that game there, which is just, that's, that's well, surreal. you mentioned four. I, I'm real curious on the other three that, that hit you. Um, um, okay, well, let's see here. So obviously the light fixtures, uh -huh. that got me. Um, where else was I? Um, uh, oh, the the uh, um, out in the front of front there, the turnstiles for. Uh, um, oh, okay. That got me, uh -huh. and then where where am I? Sorry, I'm I'm trying to figure out what the fourth one was. Oh, the other one was for the uh, turnstiles here for Yankee Stadium. Oh, okay. But for the house that Ruth built. Right. That 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 there you go. That's look, I've been a lifetime Yankee hater. All right, I that's that's yeah. on record. But I feel like 29 out of 30 teams are are Yankee haters, but. I have such a special place in my heart. I, I was not, unfortunately, born for the old, old, old Yankee yeah, Stadium. Uh -huh. So I was only able to go to the renovated version and now this newest one. Right. And that breaks my heart that I never... You know, I see a lot of old footage from the old Yankee yeah. Stadium. And growing up, I always felt... And now I'm beginning to learn, I'm not the only one who thought this, that Monument Park is where those guys were buried. Like, I always... Exactly. That was something that I was genuinely, like, petrified of when I was a seven, eight-year-old kid. Sure. And so to be able to touch... That's the biggest thing that you allow... You know, to be able to touch that turnstile and know that someone back in the 1920s or 30s walked through that turnstile to go to a game, there's something really, 
I, I, it really touches me in a way that, that very few other things can, well, you know? Certainly uh, preaching the choir. This, this is so great to get your feedback because each and every person that comes here has a little different something, but the things you mentioned are, are just great. And, and what I've tried to do here in the museum is, is to, you, you can't duplicate, but try to recreate what these old ballparks were like. And so what we're doing is we're not only celebrating our national pastime, we're, we're celebrating its, its ballparks, and specifically its, its classic ballparks. And we're talking about ballparks that were built 100 years ago, and they're not going to build them again. No, I mean, absolutely they not. They can say all they want about these retro parks, in my opinion at least. They're, they're, I mean, I use this example when I give tours here. I mean, you look at Forbes Field in Pittsburgh. And being on the design committee of Coors Field, if I were to sit in that room and raise my hand and say, hey, I got a great idea here. Let's put Coors Field in the middle of the University of Denver campus in a residential. They would have locked me up and, and taken away to the crazy house. Well, guess what? That's where Forbes Field was located, right in the middle of the University of Pittsburgh campus in a beautiful Shenley Park. They're not going to do these things again. That's... So what we're experiencing are things that they say history repeats. I don't believe it with ballparks. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to keep this whole tour yeah. as positive as possible. Yeah. And, and, you know, my, my listeners and my readers have, have heard my thoughts on yeah. the Marlins ballpark. Yeah. But have you been? I have. I have. And actually, before I say, what, what do you think about it? Well, it's certainly contemporary, to say the least. <laughs> and, and my understanding, we, my wife and I got a personal tour there. Um, and uh, my understanding is the architects, uh, was it Populous that took the successor to HOK, were the same architects that did tar uh, Target uh, Field in, in uh, Minneapolis. So there's a lot of that kind of curved and, and contemporary look to it. I guess I, I just have a real problem with any kind of uh, retractable dome or whatever they call them, uh, that, that certainly, but I understand that. I mean, my daughter lives in Seattle, and they didn't have a retractable dome. They wouldn't have Major League Baseball there. Probably. Seattle's the only place that I accept the retractable dome. When I was in Miami, mm -hmm. they had the roof closed, and it was only about 86, 87 degrees. That's ludicrous. That's, That's ridiculous. I had the same experience in Houston, too. It's ridiculous. It's like they, they get obsessed with closing it. Yeah, know? exactly. I mean, if you look at it, they track, and it's basically from late May, basically for the rest of the season, it's closed every day. It's crazy, yeah. Um, I... I would say the, when I look at um, the new ballparks, and, I, and I've had the great fortune to be in every one, my wife and I and I had taken trips all over to, to see these places. Um, they're all different. To me, I get back to the, the natural constraints and not the contrived constraints uh, of these ballparks. I think that whatever they call it now, AT&T Park in San Francisco with the bay there, certainly shortens up the right field. It has the 40,000. I love the idea of having the old flags uh, or having the ballpark uh, flags, uh, team flags on top of the ballpark up there. Um, the outside of Yankee Stay in the facade. PNC Park in Pittsburgh, uh, incredible backdrop, great size, has the old uh, light standards of uh, Forbes Field. Um, and when I think of Coors Field, I think primarily of Lodo, the, the historic district here. To me, that's what makes Coors feel. Um, and uh, y 
it's, you know, if you picked up Wrigley Field and stuck it out in the suburbs, um, comparing it to Wrigleyville, that's kind of what you have going a little bit. So I, I think the um, surroundings make a huge difference, if not the major difference. Oh, I agree. I mean, going up yeah. to Camden and, and, and Baltimore and having mm -hmm. Utah Street there, and when I, I used to live in D.C. and I had season tickets to the Orioles yeah. before the Nationals came to town, and my favorite thing in the world is to take the train into the ball because the train lets you off right there exactly. outside. So it just felt like, oh, this feels like baseball. You right. come up on a train, you go out, you can go up and down Utah Street, and you can, you know, it's, it's that the atmosphere in, or Yawkey Way in, in Boston, you know, or Wrigleyville, you know, right. it is, you're right, you're, the, the surrounding areas outside of the ballpark are just as important, if not more important, to the atmosphere as it is inside. And real quick, actually, sure. I remembered, so I, I, I was fit five chills, I just uh -huh. remembered, the seats with the bricks over there, oh, uh -huh. that, that got me, the, actually, the, seeing the, the collection of seats next uh -huh. to each other, I think you were saying, I think that's probably... And you're right. I've never seen that many unique different seats together. Like you, you'll see a seat from a ballpark here right, and there, right. but to see them all in a row there, yeah. and then the bricks that you have behind those, yeah. that that got me actually. That really, really, that's it. beautiful. I love it. Thank you very much. And you know, here again, it's it's creating that feeling that you're standing at a place that might not exist any other place. Now, I won't go so far to say that there's not places because I have fellow collectors that have all the the stadium seats I have here, <clears throat> but they might be stuck away in some closet or someplace, but to actually yeah, on display. have a public on display, you just and, and Cooperstown, my guess has maybe half these seats. Oh, and also, on, well, you know. so I, I started this tour in yeah. Cooperstown, and I was just kind of looking around, mm -hmm. and yeah, I mean, first of all, a lot of their seats are also behind glass, exactly. and a lot of their seats are. I think honestly, if I remember correctly, I only saw at least at the exhibit I saw maybe four or five different part if that even I yeah. think there were very few actual stadium seats from mm -hmm. the old parks so yeah to see that to see them all lined up here I, I got some pictures of it I'll throw on the website it's something that you really I mean that the photos don't do it justice if you guys are coming down here for a Rockies game you absolutely need to come down to this museum it is it's it's worth more money than 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 you know anything that I've well, uh, paid in any other museum you for all the kind words on that I really really appreciate it and just to kind of give a, a little uh marketing boost is that uh, my wife and I have put everything in this museum essentially come from our pocketbook. Uh, it is a 501c public museum so uh, we love to have people that uh, would uh, consider you know making donations or grants or endowments. Um, we uh, That's how we survive. I mean it's uh, if you guys want this place to survive that you know money drives us uh, most everything in life and uh, it uh, and and if we get those kind of things that means we can get that much more special things here so well, do me a favor uh, yeah. just let everybody know where they can go to you know if they're for more information about where to donate or is there a website or a phone number just uh, please let me know you bet absolutely we've got uh, of course an internet site at uh, www.ballparkmuseum.com uh, you can phone number wise you can always call me except my name is Bruce Hellerstein 720 three five one zero six six five and I always kid that geez I wish Billy Crystal would walk in here and and just say okay here you go here's a pocket full of cash <laughs> make this thing uh, you know uh, full of Mickey Mantle gloves or something you know it'd be, it'd be great to uh, have that but you know it's it's something that uh, it's serving not only the 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 baseball community in large but also the Denver community and Colorado community, uh, we feature, uh, I think, 
you know, not as humbly as I can say it, the best collection of Denver Bear uh, items here. And we're talking about 100 plus years of, of history. That's how I fell in love with the game. I'm third my wife and I are third generation Denverites. Um, so we're, we're celebrating baseball here in Colorado. And, you know, one of the things that I love uh, is that, as you said, there is a great Denver history here. But right. on top of that, it's not just about Denver. So those of you who are listening who may not necessarily be Rockies fans right. or Denver fans, believe me, there is a tremendous amount of memorabilia from, you know, most of the major league uh, ballparks here. So there's something here for everybody, it you know. Really and is. if you're just a baseball fan more than anything, there's something special here, you know, because here in Colorado, you guys have only had, you know, the Rockies for right. about 21 years now. Right. But, you know, the stuff here dates back, you know, 80, 90 years. Oh, yeah. I mean, we got a league park seat that dates back 120 years. I mean, it's um, uh, I have never experienced uh, a person walking in here and not finding something of interest uh, in one form or another. So, right, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, you talking to me here. And if there's anything more you wanted to say, uh, just a big thank you to you. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. And um, you know, we're. We're preaching the choir to each other. Exactly. I mean, it's I know. <laughs> but it's nice to find other fans who are as you know, because that's at the end of the day, that's it. We are both just fans, you know. No matter what, no matter what our involvement is with the game, I at least always feel like I'm just. I was born a fan, and I'm going to die a fan, no matter what I do in the game. That's that's well, it. Well, the other thing too, and I'm glad you brought that up, is um, we uh, the museum used to be called uh, B, uh, my nickname B for Bruce B Apostrophe Ballpark Museum, and we've established a trade name for that called the the National Ballpark Museum and uh, and we did that for for a very uh, important reason because we wanted to be the ballpark museum in this country and uh, there's no other museum in this country totally dedicated to ballparks and that's what we're here for well, you're well on your way. I mean, like I said, if I, got, if, if I have any power in the future, I will do whatever I can to make this the official museum because oh this goodness. is this has been a really great experience. I wish that's the problem with this tour is that I'm only in each city for about 48 hours. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I could spend all day in here, but uh, yeah, I'll most likely be coming back here sometime soon to spend a little bit more time. Well, I cannot thank you enough. But right. thanks again. Yep. Thank you, you so much, Bruce. You bet. Thank you. So there it is. There's my chat with Bruce Heatherstein. If you didn't fall in love with that man right there, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, he was so much fun to talk to. I honestly, I I sat down with him thinking I was going to talk to him for maybe five, ten minutes. I didn't want to take up too much of his time. And before I knew it, you know, 30 minutes had gone by. Um, you know, if I, like I, I mentioned in the interview, you know, if I didn't have a, a game to go to that night, I probably would have hung around him for the rest of the night. You know, it was just so much fun to talk baseball with him and learn all about the history of uh, baseball in Denver. And with that, we've come to the end of yet another episode of the podcast. Um, before I get into my regular thank yous, I want to throw in a special thank you this time to Doug Adewell, the editor-in-chief of Mile High Sports Magazine, for hooking me up with Bruce to begin with. I really appreciate that, Doug. And um, everybody out there, if you are a fan of any type of Colorado sports, high school, college, or pro, you need to head on over to milehighsports.com. They have an absolutely wonderful magazine that you can subscribe to, and they've got radio shows you can listen to. It's just it's a great destination for all things Colorado sports. Um, in addition to that, obviously, I need to thank Blake White for the theme music. I want to thank Icarus Ronan for the web design and Krishna Jane for the photo editing. Uh, 
And it looks like my short time here in Denver is over. You know, I'm going to have to come back because I just had too much fun. But my tour must press on as I leave the mountains and head for the deserts. Arizona Diamondbacks, you're next on my list. Please make sure to check out my website at roundingthird.net where you can check out photos and write-ups of all the different stadiums I've been to thus far. You can follow me on Twitter at roundingthirdmj. And if you have any questions for me whatsoever, you can email me at roundingthirdpodcast at gmail.com. It's roundingthirdpodcast, all spelled out, at gmail.com. Thank you once again, and join me next time as I continue to round third, heading for home. Third with Manish Jane.